This is a special Town Hall edition of Good Morning New Hampshire with Jack Heath, broadcasting live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. The focus is on New Hampshire and America's number one health issue, the state of mental health and addiction, right here at home. Presented by Granite Recovery Centers. Now, here's your host, Jack Heath. All right, welcome back. Our final hour, actually less than an hour, and I thank the folks who came here who took part from the various stakeholders, mental health, anxiety, depression, mental health, addiction, too often they go hand in hand. Um, Yes, I'm totally aware that there's a presidential primary a few days from now. I've done these over the years, from the TV days to my show. So back to the Biden, Trump, DeSantis, Haley, you name it, stuff tomorrow. We have plenty of time Thursday, Friday, Monday, and, of course, Tuesday, we'll be broadcasting the show live at St. Anselm College Institute of Politics in the West Wing, uh, my morning show, and then the evening as the results come in, brought to you by Dennehy Bolay Group. But I purposely, not by accident, planned this forum today because my show, I'm blessed with the, uh, the rea- reality, there's a lot of national media in New Hampshire, a lot of national candidates, and something you all may not know, surrogates. There are a lot of people that are here speaking on behalf of candidates, former U.S. senators, former governors. So the audience is there in our network of stations and the pulse of NH. But I thought I'd talk with all these ears and eyes out there beyond our few folks here at the Bank of New Hampshire stage on mental health and addiction. Because, you know, John Delano with the DEA here and Eric Eckberg, our presenting sponsor, Granite Recovery Centers, we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on pills in the farm industry or shots and vaccines and that's all fine and good we know the color in the battle against breast cancer but what's the color that we associate in the battle of mental health and addiction and where are the new people coming into the the profession the nurses the care addictions going through the roof and yet we all live our busy lives and we don't talk about it and parents and families are being ripped apart and, and Derek, um, we have John here. I want to, John, before he goes, to thank him again for coming. A uh, busy guy from Washington, one of the leading administrators in the DEA. Uh, he's been a real good leader on educating. Um, you heard Chris's story, losing Zach, his son, one time, one experiment. Wasn't like a history of this, wasn't like an experimenter, wasn't hanging out with bad kids. One time that he thought was a Percocet, killed him, synthetic fentanyl. So, John, we need to get this out. The fentanyl numbers again, but beyond that is this other thing. I guess it's not a begins with an X, not a Z. Yeah, we're, we're talking about xylazine, um, which you know it's taking the most insidious drug, the most deadly drug in fentanyl that we've ever seen, and making it deadlier. Um, it's a horse tranquilizer, and uh, they have found that by mixing it in with fentanyl and in with the pills that they're making to look like fentanyl, uh, it can make it, in their opinion, more addictive. Uh, but it's making it more deadly. Here's the bottom line that you need to know about xylazine uh, is that Narcan and naloxone that I talked about last time, it, it's resistant to that. So all the great work we've done here in New Hampshire and all the great w- work we've done across the country putting Narcan in people's hands to save lives. Is the lives, cartel aware of that? Of course they are. Of course they are. And they know it's resistant to it, so we need to make sure people understand it. Here's a stat. of the exhibits that we're seizing here in New Hampshire contain xylazine. 18%. The numbers keep going up. They're mixing it in 
with everything that they can, making the deadliest drug this country has ever seen even more deadly. But, but the reason why I'm here is because New Hampshire's my home. I am a parent. I do care about this stuff. And I see so many of you that do the same thing. I see Celeste Clark standing over there from the Raymond Coalition for Youth. These are people that are so dedicated to connecting with young people that, that show up at all these events, that take the messages that we all deliver here and go home and spread it into their own communities, which is so important. I'm so proud of the work that Celeste is doing, and I'm so proud of, of all the people that are here, coming here, being committed to listening to this information and hopefully paying it forward. We had a listener earlier just to ask a message in our, one of our earlier segments. I, I don't know why the two leading cartels that are manufacturing this stuff illegally getting into our streets here in New England and the country are not declared a national terrorist organization. They're well-financed. They're well-organized. Their intent is not to help America. Um, what are the two organizations again? Uh, the Sinaloa Cartel and the Jalisco Cartel, or CJNG. And I, I thought what you were going to ask me, Jack, is the question that everybody asks is, why would a company or a corporation produce uh, a product that kills everybody? Yeah, I've been asked that and, a lot. And, and they don't care. They, they don't care. The truth is they know that there's hundreds of millions of Americans behind the ones that are dying, and they want to addict everybody that they can. They don't care how many people they kill. If, the, if I come back here next year and the numbers are 200,000 Americans, there will be no pause by these cartels. They're not going to stop what they're doing. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to continue and, to have these conversations. And, and what scares me, and parents say, I've heard this from parents, oh, my kid just smokes pot. There's no big deal. My kid just takes an occasional uh, behavioral medication for a high, no big deal. They're lacing it, right, with fentanyl? These cartels, the, 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 the mid-level dealers and the lowest-level dealers, the local dealers, they're doing everything they can. Fentanyl is the ultimate shapeshifter. They can put it into every single possible drug. It doesn't make sense, right, if somebody thinks, hey, why, why would somebody who's using cocaine ever assume that there's going to be fentanyl in it? Because they, they do opposite things. And the truth is they don't want a part-time cocaine user. They want somebody that the addiction is so strong that they have to come back, not just weekly, not just occasionally, all day, every day, and use up every penny that they possibly have because the grips of this addiction are so and, strong, which is why we have great people like Eric doing incredible things. And, we need that more than ever. And some of these pills are five bucks a pop. Eric, you deal in addiction. Um, I am, we're going to get Mike on again if he's still here, one of your team members. I uh, haven't forgotten you, know, trying to get it all in. But is there anything you've heard today from John on the addiction side and the availability of this parents that surprised you, or is it kind of stuff, unfortunately, you're, you're seeing? I'm not surprised, Jack, but if this stuff doesn't get you angry and infuriated, I don't know what can. How can these cartels, how can the local mid-level dealer down in the city of Manchester be one step ahead of us? How, figuring this out, xylazine, now they mix it with the fentanyl, which is already going to kill you, and it's resistant to Narcan. Um, it, it just it blows your mind. Well, um, I'll tell you, after 28 years with DEA, 32 years in law enforcement, I have a bigger chip on my shoulder. That's what drives me every day because I, I am mad about that. I'm mad about it. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about you know, the, the youth of America especially. We need to have these conversations. We, um, real quickly, I think we have Dr. Kat. Uh, Catherine was with me the other day, one of our great folks helping to present today, or not present, presenting sponsored Granite, Reco Granite Recovery Centers, and Eric will tell you before we get off the air again the locations, but in stride health. Dr. Kat, are you there? I'm here, yes. How are you doing? Good. You're coming at this from a different angle before we bring in some other experts in our community health site. Tell us a little bit about in stride health, and you're targeting infants, correct? 
We are targeting children ages 7 to 22 who have okay. anxiety okay. and OCD. So younger, you know, as young as 7, though, not if, okay, as young as 7. And, and what, what was the founding principle? What are you seeing? Because we're talking a lot today about mental health conditions that can lead to things as adults get older. Tell us a little bit about your mission, why you started it, and what you're seeing right here at home. Yeah, we are seeing so many kids who are struggling. And, you know, right now, by the age of 18, one in three kids and teens will meet criteria for an anxiety disorder. And the vast majority of those kids don't get any care. So 80% of those kids don't get treatment for their anxiety disorder. And then even fewer get treatment that has any kind of research backing. And this is a huge problem because if left untreated or improperly treated, anxiety is considered a gateway disorder. So it can lead to a whole host of other issues, including depression, suicidality, and substance use disorder. Dr. Kat, what made you want to start this effort? I have a huge passion for working with kids with anxiety and OCD because what we see is that for these kids, they are no longer in the driver's seat of their life. They're not making decisions based on what they love or what matters to them, but instead they're making decisions in their life out of fear. So they're not doing things like hanging out with friends, playing piano or soccer, or going to school, or sometimes even spending time with their family. And their families are exhausted and overwhelmed. But the good news is that anxiety and OCD are highly treatable. You just have to have the right treatment in place. One of the big challenges we've heard today, Dr. Kat, maybe Eric, if you want to answer this, or John Asker, is reaching young people on a multitude of fronts. And parents, how, how do we open up the lanes of communication and remove stigmas? Yeah, so we take a, a systems-based approach to care. So we know that when you're working with a child, it's essential to work with the system that surrounds the child. So that means the family, the school, any other providers, so that the child gets a surround sound experience. And, and, and do you, are we just on the tip of the iceberg of tr- reaching more parents who kind of feel isolated on, when they're dealing with something? Or do, they, or do, do people feel the support network or peer communities out there or is it still early in you know in terms of getting that out i think that you know families are starting to connect more around this but i I think there's a lot more work that we can do in this realm it's incredibly isolating when your child is struggling with anxiety or ocd it can feel like you're the only one you're the only parent whose kid won't go into school or avoids the birthday party and it can often feel like, is there something wrong with me? You know, and it feels very, very lonely. And so finding ways for parents to connect, not just as part of treatment, but with other families who are similarly struggling or who have gone through the process can be really empowering. And Dr. Cap, before we let you go, my, my suspicion is the percentage of young people under 20 that, degree, that deal with some degree of this is probably well over 50% or am I exaggerating? Well, so, so again, by the age of 18, we'll, we'll see about a third of kids and teens who have an anxiety disorder. So it's, it's a huge number, and the numbers have just been steadily increasing over time. So it, right. it, things are not moving in the right direction, unfortunately. Dr. Kat, thanks for calling. If people want to learn more about Instride, the best way is how? Uh, you can go to our website, which is instride.health, and uh, you can learn more about uh, the work that we do there. And where are you out of physically? 
We started in Massachusetts, and now we are spreading across the country. So we're, right. in, we're in multiple states now. All right. Thanks so much. We'll catch you again on my morning show. Good morning, Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. Thank you, Dr. Cat. Thanks so much. John Delaney, we're going to let you rest a little bit. Eric Eckberg and I are going to continue as we get into the hour. Going to bring back some of the folks on his team uh, and some of the other folks out there. We're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play the pulse of an H. Thank you so much, John. Keep in touch. Thank you, everybody. And uh, keep saving lives because you are, and I love the passion. Back in a moment. You're listening to a special edition of Good Morning New Hampshire, live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. Welcome back on this uh, Pretty fascinating Wednesday. We'll be back in the studio tomorrow. What a facility. Thanks to all the folks here, Sal and the team, Capital Center for the Arts, Bank of New Hampshire stage. You know, what I'm learning is there's folks out there. We had the NAMI folks earlier, a couple of uh, folks here from the Plymouth area. They're wonderful groups. I've learned that in the veteran advocacy work. Folks are tucked away, but not enough people know about it. But under the umbrella of our next two guests, it's a big umbrella. I know that Riverbend, uh, one of our guests, was on earlier this week. Uh, but we have really one of the leading uh, doctors and CEOs of a bigger community health thing. And I'm learning that in the state, around the state, there are these community health, I don't want to say branches or network, but missions. And I wanted you to introduce yourself and thank you. And you want to talk about co-occurrence and what that means. But first of all, tell us about you and your, what you do and how people can learn more. Sure, great. So the New Hampshire Community Behavioral Health Association is the association of the 10 community mental health centers throughout New Hampshire. Riverbend is one of those. Is Lakes Region one? Lakes Region is another. Seacoast. There's one in every region of the state, so Mm -hmm. there's 10 of us together. Uh, And I'm Dr. Cynthia Whitaker. I'm the president and CEO of the Mental Health Center down in Nashua, and I um, have worked there for 17 years. Uh, including we have a special program for individuals who are deaf and hard of hearing. And so mind blown when I learned Dr. Uh, Chuck Morris was a CODA today. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. I'm feeling like I need to reach out to him. So thanks for that. Well, you know, one thing before you talk about what you want to talk about and then introduce your colleague is um, getting younger people to fall in your footsteps and shoes. How do we get younger people into this noble profession? We, we've had trouble with peop, attracting people to mental health since prior to COVID and all of the staffing crisis that now all of the different industries are experiencing. I think some is recognizing, like we do with teachers, right, that mental health is a career that we should be paying people to be part of. Uh, it Because of the stigma that's existed, we've often not paid people well, or we've seen them as junior doctors, or they're not that kind of doctor. Uh, and so we've really got our on a broader scale, get rid of the stigma of mental health and mental health professions if we're really going to attract staff uh, into this mission-oriented work. And what made you want to go into the field you're in? Oh, that's a long story. (laughs) But needless to say, uh, just like every other person in the world, I've had experience with mental health, um, both personally as well as within my family and substance misuse. Um, Growing up, I had an uncle, uh, my great uncle, um, who was a veteran, and we always called him our crazy uncle. And, you know, come to find out as I got older, um, certainly he um, was suffering uh, significantly from post-traumatic stress disorder and um, medicating those symptoms with alcohol. Introduce your colleague, if you would, from River Bend. Feel free. Go right ahead. Hi, everybody. My name is Sarah Gagnon. I'm the Vice President of Clinical Operations at Riverbend Community Mental Health. 
I've worked as a clinician and administrator at Riverbend for 15 years now. And the mission of Riverbend in our community is to support the behavioral health of our community. And that's intentionally very broad to include both substance misuse and mental health. Now, a question I asked the doctor, what made you want to get into this profession? And, you know, what, what was the, the drawing genesis? Sure. So I have a different story because I came from a long line of feminist female social workers. Whether they were guidance counselors or they were therapists, it was all around me. And at a very young age, I saw the value of that work. So in high school, instead of trying to figure out what I was going to do for a summer job, I worked at the Community Mental Health Center. I helped push papers. When I was old enough, I started working with clients. And it's always been something that has just been deep in my marrow, and um, I just love the mission. I'm going to ask this of both of you. Um, one of the questions I brought up at the top of the show this morning is if a person in your circle of life throws their back out from shoveling snow or has a herniated disc, fairly common, fairly normal, everyone's there to suggest ice, heat, go see this person. You almost have this little support group. Um, if someone's battling cancer, today it's no longer you're on an island. It's almost like the community is more aware your colleagues, your work. It's almost like a support group. Uh, you're encouraged in your battle. Um, we've made progress, so don't give up. Overcome the, you know, win the fight. We have NFL football players talking about this stuff. How do we do the same for your line of work? How do we remove stigmas, stigmas and tell young people or older people or people of all, hey, it's okay. This is more normal than you have any idea. For me, I think it's more than stigma, right? There's a lot of shame. We, we don't, if somebody hurts their back shoveling, we don't say, oh, you're a lousy shoveler. There must be something wrong with you. But when somebody experiences anxiety, when somebody experiences depression, you know, e even when somebody is using substances, we say, oh, that's something that's wrong with you. And that, that shame that we put on people is what brings about the stigma. But people are not identified by, what, by whatever struggles they're having, by whatever bad choice they made in one given day. I mean, what, one of my dearest friends is somebody who's serving a life prison, uh, life sentence in a prison in Maine, who I get to talk to on Zoom because of some of the prison reform that's happening in that state, which is amazing, and a topic you should have on your show at a different time. Um, but he, that is his, mes his message. And I think an important message is no person is identified by one bad choice. No person is identified by something that they're suffering through. And we don't do that. We don't blame you for getting cancer, but we blame people for being depressed. Wow, that's very profound. I mean, that's really, of all the stuff today, it's one of the more profound analysis I've, I've, I've heard. Let me open this one up to both of you. Um, when I started realizing the depth of the addiction and the families that were dealing with this, namely the fentanyl that was out there, I would hear from some folks, whether they be listeners or not, or people on social media, well, they shouldn't take fentanyl. They should have known better. And, and J-Dog, I don't know if you're going to beat me, but it, it really pissed me off because um, when I meet these parents and they tell a story, like my kid didn't choose this, we didn't choose it, my kid went in for a, uh, a shoulder separation, got hooked on some painkillers, liked the feeling, Next thing you know, we didn't know it. They were trying this. Next thing you know, they were going here. Next thing you know, they wanted more. Next thing you know, they were trying fat. I We didn't know. And then, it, and then it rips the family apart. They didn't choose this. So society and all of us need to realize, and if you heard Chris earlier talk about Zach, 
uh, you better wake up and realize this could be your living room, your bedroom, your kitchen in a New York second. And if you don't realize that, then you're, you're, you should stop eating them. You know, you should stop. I don't know what. Uh, you you got to realize it. Absolutely. And when I hear about stories like this, the first thing that happens, because it's happened in my family, is this overwhelming confusion. Why did they do it? How did they get it? How come we didn't see it? Where do we go for help? And often the people that are in the line of work get the phone call of to try to figure out the chaos. And that is happening more and more and more. And the resources that are available are strapped because of our workforce shortage. So we have these families that are in crisis that need help, need direction, and they're not sure what to do. They need those people to help sort out the pieces. And sometimes those people aren't available. Yeah, and again, I, I wish we could, to your point, doctor, you know, you said it so well. Um, you throw your back out, no one says, well, shame on you because they almost have empathy. But is it, is it that a lot of us are just afraid? We don't want to admit that I'm dealing with some degree of this and I don't want to admit it? Is it, is it, a, is it, a, is it a being ashamed type of thing? I think so. I mean, I, I had a bout of PTSD as a doctoral student and spoke to no one about it because as a healer, I should not have needed healing, yeah. right? And so, and I work in the field, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm being trained in the field, so of course, other people parents feel that shame fear what are people going to think if I say this because we put it so and I'm glad people. you brought up PTSD because I do a lot in the veteran military community on advocacy and a lot more work needs to be done but at least in the military they're finally acknowledging some of the emotional wear and tears because in some of the special operative community they weren't supposed to talk about it if they didn't feel well, mm-hmm. if they had high adrenaline anxiety. I mean, how is a how is a Navy SEAL after five deployments or, you know, a Delta team member supposed to just go bring the kids to soccer practice and then hear a car backfire and not have, a, not have some kind of a trigger? So anyway, um, one thing I didn't realize is civilians, not just first responders. Uh, Russ Conthe was talking about this. Um, I shared my morning show. This show's not about me. Um, but when I do my morning show, it, it is about, you know, you, you have an intimate, you know, you have a relationship with the listeners and sponsors. You know, I had a dad who was a Marine. He died when I was young. It wasn't supposed to happen. It just happened. So I'm here. I'm 12, 13 years old. I didn't learn until my mid to upper twenties when I had my own family. And I wasn't, I was, I had these compartments. I had never dealt with his loss. I went to hockey practice the next day. I was a Marine son. I just said, Hey, I'm going to be okay. Because my dad taught me how to make the bed in the morning, suck it up, do this, do that. Be tough, right? And I didn't know until my adult years that I was carrying. And, and someone like you explained, just a friend, you, you know, you have these compartments. You shut those doors. You cannot lock them because a part of you is going to die. I didn't even know that sometimes we carry things and it was affecting some of my being a parent myself. You know, uh, you know who do I blame for this? Uh, you know, I never dealt with the grief is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And does that happen a lot in civilian life? all the time every day right because life is full of stressors and so what we do with those stressors sometimes if we have enough resources to combat those stressors it doesn't impact our bodies quite the same way but i mean we're we're built to survive and so our bodies purposefully will shut things down compartmentalize you know store that in our little amygdala but it doesn't forget but if you don't get it out and talk to someone like yourself it doesn't go away on its own as i'm learned yeah, and I, and I would and I'm, say... I'm saying some of yeah. it, you're supposed to carry grief. I, a friend of ours passed away recently, and the yeah. minister said a great line. 
Grief is a part of love. Grief is definitely a part when of you love. When you lose someone, don't think it's just going to be okay. But we need to do better. How? Thank you so much for coming. We need to get it. How can people contact you both? How can people contact you, learn more? And what, and what can we do to help you? Um, to contact Riverbend, you can go to our website at riverbendcmhc.org. For substance use help, you can call the doorway at 211. Riverbend's phone number is 603-225-0123. And what you can do to help us is to continue to encourage young people to be attached to our mission and to really find value in the work that we do. Doc? Uh, I would say also to check out the SEBA's website, so NHCBA. So. Spell it out. Up there. Oh, yeah. CBHA. Up there. Um, Because that website will bring you to all 10 of the community mental health centers. So no matter where you live here in New Hampshire, you'll be able to contact. Do you work for volunteers at all? Sometimes. Some of our programs um, are able to use volunteers. Um, Some aren't just because of the delicacy of uh, things that we're dealing with. But certainly that's something we could benefit. And I think the doctor won't hit me here for being incorrect. If you're out there listening... And you just think it might be beneficial to talk to someone. You might live alone. You might be alone. It's okay to talk to someone, correct? It is okay to talk to someone. Treatment works. When people are, when tre- people are treated with compassion and dignity, they get better. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to say hi to our, more of our friends from Grand Recovery Centers. We're going to wrap up with Russ Conti. We have two segments left. Thanks for joining us. My uh, town hall, mental health and addiction, Jack Heath, the Pulse of an H. Back in a moment. And now, back to our special town hall edition of Good Morning, New Hampshire. Live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. All right, uh, Eric Eckberg, Grant Recovery Centers. You know, when I have these crazy ideas of doing a show like this, I never know how it's going to go. And I, I thank the folks that came, and I, I just find that I'm somewhat pensive at the end, not tired, pensive, because I'm, I'm learning, you know, from some of these experts today and the stories and reflect. So I guess that part of the goal is achieved, but we, are, we have a lot of work to do. And you have a great uh, another part of your team, and I'm going to let you run with this. Yeah, th- thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, we, we've covered a lot today, and uh, my takeaway up to this point is, is uh, you know, fentanyl and xylazine and John and Russ and all the work they're doing on enforcement, and it, it's scary stuff. We're talking about overdoses and young people dying. On and on it goes. Um, I want to talk t- about hope. Uh, I want to talk about recovery. I want to talk about uh, the work we do and getting people on the right path. Um, another segment of, of people we help is our, our veterans. Um, critical mission for Granite Recovery Centers. We have a uh, veterans program up at Green Mountain Treatment Center. It's run by uh, Katie Del Rio, who's a veteran herself. Um, tremendous work. I think we've got uh, upwards of 20 folks in that program today, 11 veterans and first responders. Um, and I'm sitting next to uh, this gentleman here. His name's Mike. Uh, went to Green Mountain, combat vet. Um, was in a rough spot, needed some help, uh, seek the help, and, and came to our program. And uh, glad to have you here, Mike. Why don't you tell us about your, uh, your adventures? I'm glad to be here. My name is Mike, and I am an alcoholic and an addict. Uh, the reason I go with addict is because it really doesn't matter I'm a combat veteran, 25-year Army retiree, and never in a million years did I think I would be sitting here today. We talked about a lot of things today, and hope was one that really wasn't there. When I got to Green Mountain, I had to be escorted on an ankle monitor from jail. A father, a grandfather, and a professional retiree. So I'm here today because I want everybody to know 
that it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, by what you call God. We are all absolutely, we can all come down with this disease that's so progressive, and you don't even see it coming until, bam, it's there. And you start looking, but, you know, as a man working in a special operations community myself, I never wanted to ask for help. It was easier to hit the streets, um, find anything, whatever drug or, or drink that would drown out the, the nightmares, the PTSD. And it became simple. It became habit, almost like a second career. And when I went to jail, I actually hit my knees and I prayed real hard. And I said, God, if you give me one more opportunity, send me somewhere where I can find a purpose again and be productive and that was huge for me because I did run in the small teams. And having a purpose is huge. So I got there and they told me about this, this community they had, which is the Rally Recovery Group or Patriot Recovery, depending on when you were there, uh, run by a former Marine. That was huge for me because the camaraderie, the fellowship, being able to open and talk freely amongst my fellows, was an absolute opportunity to see that it wasn't just me. I wasn't the only hopeless person in the world that burned my entire life to the ground. Through Granite, I spent 90 days there. I didn't want to leave too soon. I, I wanted it to work this time. But through Granite, I've learned that there's three things that I absolutely need in my life. One of them is God. The other is the community and the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Without those three things, I don't think I would be sitting here today because a year and a half ago, I did not care if I lived or died. I had no hope left. Granite brought that hope back into wow. my life. Well, Mike, you answered my last question. I was going to ask you, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for serving. And you're still serving. I don't know if you know that by doing what you're doing. Yes, I was going to ask you a year ago, did you ever think you'd get to this point of some peace and you know, getting, feeling better? Did you ever think it, there's no way? Uh, no, the, uh, the demons were winning. They were absolutely winning, and they almost won. Wow, came that close. Eric, powerful. Extremely powerful. Um, thanks, Mike. Thanks for sharing, and thanks for your, the work you did as a veteran. Uh, you know, he, here's somebody that uh, has seen it all, mm -hmm. uh, to say the least. And he, Mike didn't touch upon his, his, his missions in Iraq and everything he did see. Uh, but uh, it was addiction that brought him to his knees, uh, and he needed help. And uh, fortunately, uh, he, he found it. Um, because, you know, and, and Mike, what, what branch were you in? I was in the Army. Army. Um, so I assume that was either 75th or Delta? Uh, 75th. Yeah, I guess that. Um, you know, one of the things I'm amazed in your community that you were in and still part of um, is you're the guys, and it's still guys, um, that are supposed to be unbreakable. Um, I have friends that are um, your age and stage, and they're trying to tell the Pentagon and others that, you know, 6, 10, 12, 14 deployments, and what you've seen, there's, an, there's a heart, there's a soul there, there's a brain, right? Absolutely. And it must have been hard to feel like you can't talk about it. You're supposed to be the unbreakable ones. The Navy SEAL is supposed to be, you know, uh, Delta team guy, 75th, uh, PJ. You're supposed to be absolutely Superman like in comic books. Just jump in from a hero jump, capture that ship, take the people out, get back to base, practice with your team, go out and have a beer and go to bed. Absolutely. 
And, uh, you know, I was proud. I'm definitely proud. I'm a highly decorated veteran. But the day that my daughters told me they would have rather had me die in Afghanistan a hero instead of coming back and becoming a complete zero, that was the kick in the heart that I probably wow. needed the most. Yeah. Wow. Could I just, because you're opening up, can I ask how are you and your daughters today? Uh, through Again, through Granite and my clinician there, we started with family counseling, and I hear from them every day now. It, it's wow. one of the things I wished for the most. Probably uh, more proud of you than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're back in my life. My grandchildren are. It's awesome. And another thing, too, is uh, I'm going through a divorce, selling a house, and I ended up at Liberty House in Manchester, which is a veteran's oh, place. Amazing place, yeah. And... Uh, they're run on, on funding, donations, things like that. So I'd like to give them a push because that community there also is absolutely amazing. When you come in with nothing and you leave set up and successful for the rest of your life, uh, they deserve a, deserve a huge shout-out. Well, I don't feel better. I love the mission there. I've had the folks on. They're, they do incredible work. Um, I know the demand exceeds the available um, space and help, and, but I know a lot of people just go through there to hang out with guys like you, fellow veterans, that will come in for dinner talk um eric how much in your granite recovery before we just bring back on russ and you to kind of wrap up how much of the veteran community like like are you you know of the hundreds you serve a month you know is it 20 30 percent uh, or less it's probably around 20 percent um currently uh, yeah. we, we've got the capacity to do more we'd like to do more i mean, I mean th th these are the stories you know i'm looking out at uh, at the audience and there's a lot of staff members here mike's story is why we show up every day. Yeah. Um, we, you know, it, it's to get people back on the right track, and, and it's it's a home run. We're and you know, I, I'm going to get Mike, your other Mike, on just so he knows I listen. I'm going to get back on my morning show when I have more time because I want him to talk a little bit more. I, I think I heard him. I think he said he's from Connecticut originally. Um, he's been there. The problem since 2018 is getting worse, but he's going into these um, alumni this this avenue of kind of alumni peer groups lane which i think is going to be a i think there's a lesson there to be learned when mike talks about his time in the service i think he would agree with me maybe, maybe not correct me if i'm wrong mike some of the veterans i've tried to get some of the liberty house or veterans count or some of the other um, awareness to them is sometimes they want to hear it from a veteran they, they they don't want to hear it from someone who doesn't know what they are or what they went through oh that's absolutely true uh, even when it comes down to mental health, if you take a combat vet veteran and throw him in front of a clinician that just can't grasp what's happening, it just doesn't work. That's why this community is so important. A good friend of mine, Steve Jordan at Innate Therapeutic Services, saw the, the need for this. So together we're opening up an outpatient services for veterans in Franklin at his office. And Mike McCormick, he's like a hero without a cape. <laughs> you know, Friday night we have our alumni meetings, and I bring veterans from Liberty House. Awesome. awesome. And they feel like they're part of the family as well. It's yeah. awesome. You know, um, real quickly, one of the things in mental health, are you a big fan of, um, and Michael follow up on canine and equestrian type stuff, we need to talk more about these lanes because they're not talked about enough? Uh, I am. Uh, so there's Upreach Therapeutic in yep. Gosstown, New Hampshire. Yeah. I go there as many days a week as I possibly can because there's nothing like being around a horse. I know about you all here in the audience, but I've talked to some of these veterans just working with a horse, not even riding the horse, but grooming it, being alone with it, letting it look into your eyes and transferring some of that hurt. Uh, Kane, a dog, and real quickly, there's a friend of mine up north named Aaron White. Um, he was in your branch. He was a night stalker. Um, 
his wife reached out to me when I was doing a lot of this veteran stuff. I met him up in um, uh, Twin Mountain, and uh, I didn't know how close he was. Like you said, he was at that. And we finally got him a dog. And when I got along with him and I said, Aaron, you got a beautiful wife. You know, you're younger. Can I just ask, not the details of your service, because a lot of people don't even know what a night stalker is. I go, what is tormenting you? You had so many wonderful missions. You're the guy that brings in the special ops. You're the, you get them out in any kind of stealth or whatever craft. And he goes, Jack, I, it's, the, it's, the, it's the innocent people in war that we had to kill when a SEAL team was running out of a village because we didn't know the difference, and I can't live with that. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, how do you live with that? Yeah. I mean, you hear stories of Vietnam. They haven't dealt with that to this day. So anyway, thank you, Michael. Mike. We take a quick break. Russ, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you all here. I wish you all could be on and all that, but that's the way it goes. Back on Good Morning Hampshire, the Pulse of a Nation in a moment. You're listening to a special edition of Good Morning New Hampshire, live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. We are back. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. J-Dog, thank you. Morgan, thank you. CJ, again, buddy, I know you, you served in the Navy. Thank you for that. I'm really sorry about the Eagles. How did they do against the Bucks the other night? Okay. Um, Russ, Russ Conti, uh, again, I want people to get some follow-up. Uh, we've thrown a lot out there this morning. What I'm, what I'm happy or pleased is we've gotten some positives. I like the hope message that Mike brought. I like John's message from the DEA because we need to know this stuff. You know what I mean? Um, 380 million doses they took off the street, and I'm thinking that's only what they interdicted. That means, what, a half a billion or got through? Um, scary stuff. But if we maybe can just open up the lines, that's what I'm, I'm trying to think of the takeaways. I always think, okay, problem, solution, problem. Some takeaways, open the dialogue. I like what that doctor from Nashua said. People feel ashamed. Like if you have mental health, it's like something wrong with you versus if you throw your back out. So... I want you two to kind of take the remaining time, save my voice for tomorrow, wrap it up, follow up information, action items, take it away, Eric and Russ, Conti, of course, Nami, in with the State Department of, uh, still with the State Police, but working with first responders, Eric, Granite Recovery, take it away. Thank you. Thanks, Jack, and, th- and thanks for putting this together. I mean, we covered a lot today and it, powerful stuff. Um, you know, Granite Recovery Centers, we're there for the hope and the treatment for those that find themselves that have crossed that imaginary line into addiction. Uh, but we need the Russes, we need the John Delaney's on the front end to keep those young people safe. Or, or people that are, have also crossed the line and are still seeking those, those crazy drugs that we already talked about. So uh, I, I can't say enough about Russ and, and, and the work John Delaney does. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, what, a, what an honor to be here. And I think. You know, one thing that came out of this morning that's very, very clear to me is, is the team effort. And, you know, for most of my adult life, I heard, you know, you have to have clarity. You've got to know exactly what the mission is. And there is no greater time to blur lines than now. And I think it's only through us being able to cross over that we're going to get a team together. There is so much talent in New Hampshire. There are so many people at community mental health level and, level and NAMI and in, you know, uh, veterans and first responders. There is a tremendous amount of t- um, talent, and they are pulling all in the same direction, which is absolutely amazing because everybody has identified the problem in their own mind because it affects them personally, me included. 
So I think we need to take that energy and keep focusing and keep blurring those lines and keep destigmatizing what is the real, you know, hindrances to getting help. Let's, let's make sure we push people towards it. Let's make them feel comfortable. Let's welcome them in, and let's assure that we support the people that are grassroots doing the work. And let's, let's be candid. We are, you touched upon law enforcement, military. What about firefighters? What about ambulance? What about first responders? What about the EMT? When you call 911, American Medical Response here, they're seeing this stuff every day. They're, they might have gone for, to become an uh, EMT, and they're, 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 re, they're helping someone revive from a fentanyl overdose. That probably wasn't what they were studying 10 years ago. So all these people that tend to be drawn to these careers are the same people that might suffer consequences. Absolutely. Am I right? It's a big team effort. Everybody is involved. There is no one group that's exposed. Everybody's exposed. And not only do we have to come together and recognize that, we have to make sure we keep our foot on the gas. These things are perishable. This is a complicated issue. It's complicated for people in the profession and outside the profession. If you let your foot off the gas, I'm telling you, the easy thing is to not do anything. So it is perishable, and it's something you have to keep on every day, every day. And I don't know if people know this. We have a recruitment crisis in this country for these important jobs. How many openings in the state police? Over 80 right now. Over 80, 80. Full-time state police, um, firefighters, same thing, uh, first responders, nurses and healthcare people in the, we have a shortage of these frontline jobs. So the question is, who's going to be the next Micah tomorrow when he retires if we don't get younger people engaged? It's a great question, Jack. You know, and one of the things that troubles me is we do always get the same people. You know, if I ask people at, at Granite staff, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z to fulfill the mission, they'll, they'll knock down doors to do it, yeah. right? We've got we to gotta spread that influence out. We've got to get more people involved. But who's behind them? You know, who's behind them, the same people you rely on? Right. Um, I feel it sometimes in my show when I do, you know, veteran advocacy. Okay, we need new, new recruits. Uh, final thought, Ross, how people can contact you if they're out there on the job. I know a lot of them listen. It's okay to what? Sort of wrap it up, and then I'll wrap it up. And uh... First off, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be, uh, to be affected by an experience that you dreamed of having in a career that you fought hard to get. That is okay. And there's people that are going to help you. You can get us through State Police. You can get us through NAMI New Hampshire, where we partner with the Crisis Intervention Team Program. Uh, there are assets for everybody, and we have made those connections. And just, just find us. And I promise you, it does not mean the time of day, the day or night does not matter. We will help you. We will come to you. And I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you, Eric, um, and everyone, our team. And I'll be back at it talking Biden, talking Trump, talking to Sanders, talking Nikki Haley tomorrow before the primary. But I'll just say this from yours truly of uh, this crazy idea with the primary coming, but doing this today. Um, I said to the doctor from Nashua during the break, when I get along with my buddies and we're out trying to catch some stripers on the Atlantic or playing some golf and we have a cold beer and we're talking, I'll say sometimes, who do you really know who's at peace? And, and I'll say what I mean by that. If you knew you were going to pass away tonight at 7 o'clock, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Where's your torment? And, and it's a smaller number than I – and I think it's – I think people, and especially in the veterans community and all of us, need to be stop being so hard on ourselves if we don't feel perfect. It's okay, like you just said. It's okay to have your moments. A lot of times, you look at the national news, who wants to get out of bed in the morning? 
It's hard to get up and want to go work out or go to the gym when it's sleet and ice out there. Life is not easy. I learned that at a young age. Life can suck. But there can be a lot of good, and if we just weren't so hard on ourselves sometimes, we try and be everything to everyone, and, it, and that's not the way to go. Just give yourself, a, I tell veterans, give yourself a little bit of a break. Stop being so hard on yourselves. Don't be perfect. There is no perfect. Trust me. Elon Musk, Bill Gates, we can talk about whatever that is success. They're no happier, believe it or not, than, than most of us who just don't realize it. So thank you all very much. Our mental health addiction town hall, Jack Heath, back at it tomorrow. The Pulse of an H. Thank you, J Doc. See you in a bit.